As we begin our message, I want to ask you whether you've ever been sailing uh, or windsurfing or maybe even kite surfing, so it's quite radical, but uh, any of those sorts of things. If you've ever had that experience before, or even if you haven't, you can kind of imagine what it's like. It is this amazing feeling when you're out on the water without a motor or an engine and just the wind blowing you forward. There's something beautifully peaceful about it, but incredibly powerful about it as well, as you just kind of hold on as the wind takes you forward and moves you forward. It's really, really incredible. But have you ever thought about where the wind comes from or where it goes after it finishes blowing the sails? It's kind of this weird thing, the wind, that it's like, where did it come from? Where's it go? It doesn't really wear out like it's not once it's blown in the sails or there's less of it around. It just goes. It's this really, really fascinating thing. We can't see it, and yet we can see the effects of it. And there's something that's just so beautiful about this image of the wind. Today, as we finish our Fresh Wind series, we're going to explore that a little bit, because Jesus talks about that exact phrase, that the wind blows wherever it wants. And we're going to talk about what it looks like for us, as we have been exploring over these last few weeks, uh, to continue to sense the wind of the Spirit, the breath of the Spirit in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to hear God's gentle whispers as God whispers to us through his breath. Last week, we talked about how God's breath is able to bring anything, even dry bones, to life. And today, we're going to look at what it means to sense and respond to the wind of the Spirit. And so just a reminder that if you've missed any of those weeks or if you want to catch up on that, and this is true at any time, uh, the previous week's message is always on our website for the week. You can go there and you can watch that. And uh, you can also click on the little YouTube button that's there and you'll be able to go into our archives to see any other ones that you've missed. Or you can subscribe to our podcast, uh, which means that you'll get the audio uh, every single week. So if that's helpful for you, uh, don't forget that that's available. But today you've got your uh, teaching notes inside of the newsletter, so if you want to grab those so you can jot things down as we go through today's message, and you can open up to John chapter 3, uh, because that's where we're going to go in a couple of moments. But I want to talk about the context of John chapter 3 and what's been going on. So Jesus has just begun uh, his earthly ministry. So he's been around for about 30 years, but now he has started to actually come alongside of people and to teach people about God and to demonstrate some of the power that he's got. And so in John chapter 2, we read these two really amazing stories about Jesus. The first, Jesus turns water into wine, a story that many of us are very, very familiar with. And then following on directly from that... Jesus enters into the temple and clears the temple out and says, all of you people who are in here, who are trying to make money and profit off of people who are coming to spend time with God, that's completely inappropriate. This is supposed to be a place where people can come and spend time with God. And so that's the context in which we read these words starting in John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So the Pharisees are the people who were responsible for holding up the Old Testament laws. So the Ten Commandments and everything that came after that, a lot of what's in the Old Testament for us. The Pharisees were the people who were responsible to walk with people to help them understand how to put all of those laws together. How do you live in the way that God wants you to live? How do you make sure that you're doing the right things? And in those times where you mess up, what are the things that you need to do to make up for the mistakes that you've made? And the Pharisees, we know, end up getting a pretty bad rap because of their interactions with Jesus over time and where the journey goes. But it's really important for us to remember that the Pharisees 
were just trying to uphold the beliefs and traditions that had been a part of their culture for thousands and thousands of years. That was their genuine heart, was to say, we don't want people to get distracted. We don't want people to chase after all these other things. We want people to make sure that they're still following God the way that they're supposed to and not stepping outside of that. They had a genuine heart in that, but the challenge was that they were so focused on all of the rules and all of the rituals that people had to perform that when Jesus arrived, they couldn't actually see him for who he was. And so Jesus comes along and he teaches that it's more important to focus on your heart and your motives than it is to just focus on your actions and your words. Jesus says that loving God and loving each other is the most important thing to focus on, not all of these countless laws. And Jesus comes to bring healing and release to people, not to tie people down with a whole bunch of rules and rituals and all of these things that they have to do that just end up piling up and holding them down. And so as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four biographies about Jesus that we call the Gospels, we see this increasing tension between the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and Jesus as they struggle with this battle. Is it more important to focus on the rules or is it more important to focus on a relationship? But not all of the religious leaders, not all of the Pharisees, were bad people who had it in for Jesus. And Nicodemus seems to be one of these people. Nicodemus sits on this thing called the Sanhedrin, which is this council, uh, so kind of a small group of religious leaders who were really, really responsible for making decisions about the religious life of Israel. And so we read in verse 2, after dark one evening, Nicodemus comes to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So it's interesting that Nicodemus chooses to come and speak to Jesus after dark. There's lots of different speculation about what that might have been. Some people would say that Nicodemus was a bit ashamed about the idea that he was going to come and talk to Jesus. I don't want anyone else to find out that I'm coming and having this conversation. So he did it after dark. Some people were saying maybe he was afraid of the implications of what might happen to him if other people found out that he was having a conversation with Jesus. Many people would say it was probably too early on in these interactions between the Pharisees and Jesus for those two things to be true. And it may have just been practically that Nicodemus came to spend time with Jesus because Jesus was becoming really popular and that was the only time that he knew that he could have a long conversation with him. For whatever reason, he comes at night and he begins by saying, Rabbi, this phrase that is used uh, to talk about the title of teacher, This recognition that Jesus had authority and was able to help people to understand more about God and the way to live. In fact, he says, we all know, so this again is interesting, we, all of the Pharisees and religious leaders, all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So again, those two snapshots of what's just happened, Jesus turning water into wine and then Jesus clearing out the temple, it's clear that for the Pharisees they're like, huh, There is something different about Jesus. He's clearly got a sense of authority from God. And so we do need to find out a little bit more about what's going on with him. But the challenge here is that there is a big difference between knowing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. It's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. For the Pharisees, they were in a place where we can see that God has sent you to teach us. We can see that you've got something to offer, that we can learn from you. 
And so often that's our first stage is knowing about Jesus, discovering about his teaching, gaining a sense of understanding, intellectually saying, yes, that makes sense. But just knowing about Jesus is not enough. We have to transfer across to believing in Jesus, where we put things into practice. It's applying Jesus' teaching that makes all the difference in our lives and believing in him and what he's done, not just knowing about him. And so that's what Jesus is saying in verse 3. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this phrase born again can be a little bit loaded for some of us, depending on what our history has been in churches, particularly over the last 30 years or so. So many of us would have heard the phrase born again Christian. And so for some of us, that simply means someone who's made a decision to follow Jesus. That's what a born again Christian means. But in some circles of the church, that has come with a lot of baggage in terms of a born again Christian means not just that you believe in Jesus, but that you have said a specific prayer perhaps to get you over the line to prove that you believe in Jesus. You've taken some steps in terms of baptism and what that looks like, uh, but also that there are a bunch of other things that maybe are expected of you that you need to do to prove that you're a born again Christian. And in some circles of the church in particular, that has been very focused on the role of the Holy Spirit. So you can only be a born-again Christian if you have been baptised in the Holy Spirit. You may have heard that phrase. You can only be a born-again Christian if you have received the Holy Spirit, is another way of putting that. And generally in those church circles, what that meant was you can prove that because you can speak in tongues. That's the evidence that you've been baptised by the Holy Spirit, is that you can speak in a spiritual language. Now, that's not as present as it once was in the churches around us, Uh, but if you go back 10 and particularly 20 or 30 years ago, there was a significant divide in the church around this because there were pockets of the church who said, if you want to be a born-again Christian, then you need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit, which means that you need to speak in tongues. It's interesting how we latch on to these phrases sometimes and then just load them up with so much meaning that may not actually have been a part of what was originally there. Because what's really interesting is that this phrase, born again, the word again is actually exactly the same word that is useful from above. And so many interpreters and many commentators would say, actually what Jesus was saying was not that you must be born again, but that you must be born from above. Which is really, really fascinating because we've loaded that born again phrase together. And in fact, some commentators would say, all that happened here, in terms of Nicodemus' confusion, was that he misheard the word that Jesus said. So, one word means two different things, as happens in our English language sometimes, and Nicodemus just picked the wrong one. Instead of Jesus saying, born again, he actually said, born from above. The reality is it doesn't matter, because whether Jesus is saying, born again, or born from above, what he's really saying is that we have the opportunity to experience new life in Jesus. We all get the opportunity to have a fresh start. We all get to begin again, a second chance. And this is that difference between just acknowledging Jesus' teaching and say, I know about Jesus, and saying, I believe in Jesus. I want to allow my life to be completely transformed, to be changed. I want to start over again with Jesus at the centre of who I am. And so Jesus says, unless you do that, you can't see the kingdom of God. And this phrase, kingdom of God, is one that we talk about a lot. 
kingdom of God really just means life the way that God created it to be. It's really as simple as that. The kingdom is life the way that God always wanted it to be. It's life the way that we're going to experience it when we pass from this life into the next. But all of the values, all of the key things about what we would say, yes, that's what God's passionate about, that's all summed up in this phrase, the kingdom of God. And Jesus talked about the kingdom over and over again. It's the thing that he talked about more than just about anything else. This idea of him coming to establish the kingdom so that we could experience it in this life and in the next. The challenge was, again, the religious leaders and the people of Israel, their expectations about what the kingdom was going to look like was that it was a physical kingdom. So their expectations were that this Messiah was going to come along, this military ruler, someone who was kind of like King David from the Old Testament, was going to come along on a big horse, wipe out the Romans, and put Israel back on the map as the dominant nation in the world. And therefore everyone would get to experience the kingdom because Israel would be in control. But we know, as Jesus unpacks more and more about the kingdom, that's not what it was about at all. The kingdom is about surrender. The kingdom is about giving up power, starting over, serving, loving. Those are the key elements of the kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying with this very small phrase, unless you're born again or born from above, you can't see the kingdom, is unless we allow ourselves to go back to the beginning, to centre ourselves on Jesus and to understand where he's coming from, we can't see life the way that it's supposed to be. We can't live it, we can't experience it, we can't participate in it. Now what we have to be careful about is that we don't now introduce some conditional behaviour that Jesus might be saying, well, unless you do this, which means unless you measure up, unless you jump through these hoops, unless these things are true, you're going to miss out. Rather, what Jesus is saying is this is a part of the upside-down nature of the kingdom. You can't see the kingdom, you can't experience the kingdom, you can't get to experience what God has got for you, life the way that it was designed to be, unless you're willing to let go. Unless you're willing to surrender. Unless you're willing to allow God to transform you so that you can see those things. So in verse 4, Nicodemus expresses what some of us might be feeling right now. A sense of confusion. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? It's like, this is make it look pretty big. Do the maths. This probably isn't going to work very well. I'm not sure what you're talking about here, Jesus. How can I undo all of these years of growth, all of this development, and just go back in and start all over again? That doesn't seem to make any sense. And the challenge for us is that sometimes that's actually true in terms of how we approach our spiritual lives as well. Not about you, but sometimes I struggle to say, how can God start over with me? All of the mistakes that I've made, all the times that I've messed up, all the times that I haven't got it right. How can God take all of that, squash it back down so that I can start again? Sometimes we go to the other extreme. We think about all of the growth that we've had and all of the things that we've done and all the things we've been involved in and we can kind of struggle a bit to let go of all of that and say, no, no, God wants to start over with me. That can be a little bit challenging for us. But Jesus in verse 5 reaffirms this and he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So, what does Jesus mean by water and the Spirit? Some people would say that Jesus was kind of talking about baptism when he talks about water. Uh, some people would say it was probably a little bit early on and that baptism hadn't really taken hold yet. And so really what Jesus was talking about was ritual cleansing, which water was used for, to be able to cleanse them. 
we would say both make sense because that's actually what baptism is all about. A symbolic demonstration that you have been washed clean. Jesus is saying, unless you allow me to wash you clean, as he says later on, you can't enter into the kingdom. You can't do this yourself. You can't fix it. You can't make up for it. You need to allow me to wash you completely clean. And unless you're born of the Spirit, unless you have the intimate breath of God, the wind of God's Spirit breathe new life into you, you can't experience the kingdom. We'll come back and talk about that more in a second. But again, we want to just catch ourselves and say, this doesn't mean that Jesus is being exclusive. It's saying, unless you jump through these hoops, unless you get everything perfect, you're not allowed in. Jesus is saying, this is not something that we can achieve on our own. We have to let him do it for us. We can't experience, live, see, do everything about the kingdom without allowing Jesus to do the work in us. It's not about us getting our act together enough. It's not about the things that we do. It's about what Jesus does for us. There's no other way for us to be able to enter into and experience the kingdom. Jesus takes this a bit further in verse 6 where he says, Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. This follows on really well from what Phil said last week about the beautiful picture of new life and being able to experience birth. It's such a beautiful moment when a baby takes its first breath. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience that we sometimes get the privilege of being able to see. Jesus takes that a step further to say we don't get to experience new life unless we allow the Holy Spirit to breathe into us. To bring the Holy Spirit's breath and wind into our lives. That's the only way that we can be spiritually born again. But Jesus seems to be being a little bit harsh with this. He's like, so don't be surprised, Nicodemus, when I say these things. This is one of those good times where we tune in a little bit to what our perceptions are of Jesus' time. Is Jesus saying to Nicodemus, so don't be surprised? Like, what's wrong with you? How thick are you? Can't you get this in your head? Like, what? Come on. Get with the program, Nicodemus. I don't at all think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is, don't be surprised. Like, if you stop and think about this, it makes a lot of sense. Because Jesus wants to gently walk with those who are spiritually seeking. Jesus doesn't give us a clip around the ears when we don't get stuff. He says, no, no, just slow down. Stop and think about this. When you do, it'll make perfect sense to you. I think that's what he's saying to Nicodemus. And then Jesus says these very famous words in verse 8. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can't hear the wind, uh, sorry, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's this beautiful reminder that we talked about the wind. The wind is this mysterious thing. We don't know where it comes from, we don't know where it goes, we can't see it but we can see the effects of it. Jesus says, yes, if you stop and think about this, it makes sense, but there's still an element of mystery to it. The way in which the Spirit brings us alive, the way in which the Spirit is at work, there's a part of it where it's like, how does it work? I don't know exactly. It's the Spirit. <laughs> it's amazing. It's incredible. You can see the effects if you pay attention. And so as we think about what it looks like for us to come alive, as we think about this idea of the Spirit bringing a new life into us, we want to recognise and affirm that for us, we would say this isn't just a one-time deal. We don't believe that we just come alive once, the Holy Spirit breathes in us, and that's it for the rest of our lives. We believe this is an ongoing process. 
that constantly the Spirit is breathing new life into us, constantly with the opportunity to come back and to experience a chance to start over again. But this is really, really helpful imagery as we come back to that picture from the beginning about the idea of sailing or jumping on a windsurfer. This beautiful image of putting up a sail and allowing the wind to just blow us forward, to feel its power as we just tap into and harness what it can do. We can't explain where it's come from, we can't explain where it goes, we can't explain why it sometimes just changes direction on us. We can't explain how it works, but we can definitely feel and sense the effects of the wind when we tap into it. That's the same with the Spirit. It's that our responsibility in our spiritual lives is to hoist up our sails. Put our finger up to the wind, say, which way is the wind blowing? Turn the sail so that we can catch the wind and strap ourselves in and away we go. Sometimes that's gentle, this beautiful flowing of the spirit that just moves us forward in a gentle way. Sometimes there's a big gust of wind and we hold on. It's a sense of adventure as the spirit blows us forward in significant ways. Sometimes there's a bit of a lull where the wind just seems to die down and we just have to wait patiently and say, okay. And then it picks up again and away we go again. The challenge for us is what we do in those moments where we realise that we've stopped moving forward. What do we do in those times where we realise that our boat has just stopped? What do we do in those times? So often, I know that my response is that I need to do more. I need to work harder. There's stuff that I'm really doing wrong that I need to kind of get more into in order to move forward again. So to tap into this imagery, sometimes what we end up doing is this. Trying to blow ourselves forward. I'm going to fill the sails myself because I'll blow and then hopefully that'll fill the sails up enough that I'll be able to get moving again. Or sometimes we pull the oars out, we start rowing. It's like I'm going to make this happen and I'll work and I'm going to make this move forward. So often that's what we fall back onto. But what happens? After we blow for a while, we're going to get a bit worn out. What happens after we row for a while? We get worn out. And sometimes that's how we feel in our spiritual lives as well. We get to this place where we're just tired. It's like I've been trying so hard, we're just worn out. And that's not just true for us in our spiritual lives personally. But that's true for us as a church as well. We've been facing in a certain direction and for some reason things aren't moving the way that they used to. So what's our temptation? Start rowing. We're going to get this thing going ourselves. When that happens, our responsibility is to stop. Put our finger up to the wind. So what's happening? Where is the spirit blowing? Oh, it's not blowing this way anymore. It's moved over there. No wonder we're not moving forward. We tilt the sail, and all of a sudden we start to experience the wind picking us up and moving us forward again. That sense of excitement comes back. That sense of adventure comes back. That sense of flowing with the Spirit kicks in for us. So that's what I'd love us to be able to take a bit of time to reflect on this morning before we move into communion. Are we flowing? Or are we blowing? 
or are we wrong? Where are we at in our spiritual journey right now? Are we in a place where we're sensing the wind of the Spirit blowing us forward, we feel like our sails are full, and we're moving and it's great? Or if we're honest, are we we're maybe getting worn out? We've pulled the oars out, we're trying really hard. What does that look like for you? Where are you at right now? Maybe this is an opportunity for us to stop, put our finger up to the wind, so where is the Spirit leading us so that we can move forward again? Take some time to reflect. We'll come back and pray together and transition across the country. We are so grateful for the Holy Spirit. There's so much mystery that is attached to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you tell us so much about what the Holy Spirit represents. Thank you in particular for this beautiful imagery of the Holy Spirit being the breath of God, the wind of God. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes new life into us. Gives us a sense of wind that moves us forward in the directions that you want us to go. So we thank you for this series and the time that we've taken over the last few weeks to explore that from some different angles. And a reminder that often it is something that is just very gentle. It is behind the scenes, but the desire behind it is always about new life, bringing us back to life, being able to experience things in a new way. And so my prayer as we wrap this series up is that you would continue to help us to sense the ways in which we can catch the wind of the Spirit. I pray that you would challenge us in those times where we are trying to move ourselves forward, 
particularly in those times where we just get tired and worn out, that you would help us to stop. Stop trying to do things on our own. Stop trying to blow and grow. And instead to be able to simply wait. To be able to sense where your spirit is leading us. To be able to spend time in prayer. Spend time reading scripture. Spend time in conversations with each other. Allowing your wind to just pick up. To sense the direction that it's turned. To move our sails. So that we can move forward to where it is that you want us to go. We pray that your Holy Spirit would blow into our lives individually and collectively for us as a church. We ask for clarity on that as well as we head into next year and think about the direction that you want to take us together. We pray for a sense of knowing where the wind of your Spirit is blowing so that we can catch it and strap ourselves in for the exciting adventure that you've got for us. But we're not just trying to move things forward ourselves. We're not just wearing ourselves out. We're experiencing the joy that comes from following you, Jesus, as your spirit blows us forward. In your name we pray. Amen.